You may be seated. Well, thank you all for coming on this wonderful day. The first day of the World Cup. <laughs> Some of you are like, the what? There's this game that's called soccer. Most of the world plays it. It's very important. And uh, today, is, today starts the World Cup. So, um, But there's also football. And you came... Uh, also, you came on a very important day because today is the day that we get to share and celebrate the Thanksgiving Feast of Favorites. So some of you are very excited about that. I know that um, I fried a couple of turkeys, so those will be there. I know that uh, Ron smoked a couple of turkeys. Um, that'll be, he put them in the smoker. It's always weird when you say somebody smoked the turkey. Like he put them in the smoker. I'm not sure you could smoke a turkey. But you can smoke a turkey. <laughs> Sorry. There's a rabbit trail. Hey, uh, so good to be here with you. Thank you guys for joining us. It's, uh, it's a great day to worship God together. It's a great day on a, a Sunday. It's, it's cold today. I promise I turned the, I made sure the heater was on. I didn't, turn, I, but I, I didn't turn it on, but I made sure it was on early. And I feel like maybe it didn't work. <laughs> so some of you came in and you're like, man, my nose is cold. But it's okay. Uh, we're getting there. Uh, worship a little bit. Um, but this is, a, this is a good week. I know school let out. I know some kids even left school early on Friday in advance of the uh, Thanksgiving holiday. Um, when I was in school, whew, I sound like a parent now, don't I? Um, back when I was in school, um, they let us out like Thanksgiving Day and Friday. That was it. Our holiday was Thursday and Friday. Uh, now it's the whole week. Um, of course, when I was in school, we started like the end of August, 1st of September. And now we start like, anyway, let's keep going. Hey, uh, just really glad that you're here today. And, you know, Thanksgiving always is a great holiday, but it does mark the beginning of the Christmas season in a way, you know. And uh, Christmas tree walk is one of the things that we are very, in, uh, what's the word, intentional of making sure that we use that holiday. We leverage what people are already doing on Christmas to tell the story of Jesus. And that's why we talk about the Christmas tree walk all the time, but it has a purpose. I am definitely not one. That, I have to tell you, I have enough things going on in my life that I don't need to uh, create extra work. Um, but this is an event that we get to share the gospel story. We get to help people understand who Jesus is. That Christmas is more than Christmas trees and Santa Claus. And you know, most people I think know that, but do they know that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary? That his birth and conception was miraculous? That uh, the world kind of celebrated his birthday whenever he was born? That um, 30-something years later, 33 years later, he was crucified, dead, and buried for our sins, that he was raised to life. Like, that's the story that we tell using Christmas trees. So um, anyway, it's a, you get to be a part of that. We all get to be a part of something bigger than that, and I'm, I'm excited that we can do that together. So uh, we're going to continue today our a series of messages on Ephesians. We've been in Ephesians. Um, the Advent season is coming up, so I've been trying to figure out how to 
how to handle that I think we're going to maybe pause Ephesians because there's several more messages left and I want to definitely get in the the Advent focus but we're going to be talking about Advent coming up here in the next couple of weeks Uh, today we're going to continue our series on Ephesians though Um, this is one of arguably the most famous letters that Paul wrote in the New Testament and uh, it's definitely one that has some of the most often quoted verses and I want to remind you and I'll say this all the time in fact I I know that it's on the website because I looked that we want to be a church committed to an inward journey of spiritual practices and an outward journey of missional engagement a spiritual journey I mean an inward journey of spiritual practices an outward journey of missional engagement in other words what is going on in our hearts and the spiritual journey that we are on inwardly is expressed in the things that we do the way we engage mission which is telling people about Jesus the Christmas tree walk is a prime example and um there, there's uh, things that we can do the inward journey of spiritual practice it happens during fellowship so today when we share a meal together and everybody's eating turkey and um, having their mashed potatoes and whatever you put with your turkey um, yams I need to stop or we're going to start getting uh, hungry but that is a way for us to spiritually engage each other and to help form depth in each other it's it's an amazing thing so again we have you know everything that we do has there's an intentionality behind it and ultimately we just want to love like Jesus so lives are changed I mean that is the heart of and I'll, I'll say this as well I'm just getting started but I'm in a sidebar I have I'm working on my doctorate and um, they asked me a, a question I have to write a paper on this what what are we doing as a church that we can move towards a more biblical and contextual ecclesiology. In other words, how does our church function? How can we move our church to a space that functions in a way that is closer to uh, biblical intentions and contextually in, in our situation? And I'm, like, I'm writing this paper and I'm like, I'm so proud to say that our church is already doing this. Like we are already moving in that direction. We are trying to be um, very accurate with uh, the scripture and and contextually we realize things that are going on in our world and we have invited and and try to make feel welcome every person from every background it doesn't matter your uh, race or ethnicity or gender like we we're a church that is seeking to have love at its core which is what God has called us to. So I I just um, think that as we continue to do the things we do, to love like Jesus so lives are changed becomes more and more and more a part of our DNA. So just briefly, what we've been talking about in Ephesians is really what Jesus did for us. Today we're going to turn the corner into our responsibilities as a believer, but um, what did Jesus do for us? So we've talked about what it means to be a Christian. And Paul really speaks the first half of Ephesians what it looks like that the to to live in unity as Christ uh, has as we live in Christ he causes us to be unified together Um, he Paul also talks about what it means to be made alive in Christ to be reconciled to all people and that last week we talked about his prayer to the Ephesians that and I love this that we have been rooted in love and when we use that word root there's this uh, this understanding and I said it earlier this understanding of a depth that is formed in us our roots that go deep 
into the ground that is Christ. And out of that springs spiritual death. I just think it's, it's amazing. But we've been rooted in the love of Christ. And out of that love flows everything that we do. So today... We're turning the corner and we're going to look at what this life looks like. What is it that we should do? Who should we be as followers of Christ? What are our responsibilities? I wonder if I ask the question, how many of you are skeptics? You would raise your hand. A skeptic wants to see the evidence of whatever someone says is true. They want to see the evidence. So some of you here would be like, yeah, I'm a skeptic. Um, probably I'm the opposite of a skeptic because, like, I believe everything. I have to be very careful. Um, and, and especially as a pastor, people, people that I don't know will stop by the church. You would be surprised the number of people that stop by or that call even. They'll call. And they tell me their, their sad story about what's going on in their lives and the things that is happening and, and how they desperately have to have $1,000 today or else something bad's going to happen. And I believe them all the time. So I'm always trying to work. Oh man, we need to get them. I'm calling. Some of you have received those calls. Hey, we need a, some money. Can you help? Like I believe it. I'm, I'm not much of a skeptic in that way. Uh, the other thing is a skeptic is different from a cynic. A cynic believes that people are motivated only by self-interest rather than acting honorably or in an unselfish way. A cynic kind of doesn't care what the truth is as long as whenever whatever another person is, is doing, whenever they find out that's wrong, the cynic can say, ha ha, I told you. <laughs> right? Some of you are thinking you're maybe falling in that category. Uh, some of you might remember in the late 80s, early 90s, there was a, um, well, in the 80s, there was this rise of the televangelist. You guys remember that? On TV, you would see the televangelist, and, and they would be on late at night, it seems like, and you could tune in, and they would have a list of letters that had been written. This was before email and internet, and they would say, oh, so-and-so needs prayer for their hand, and they would pray on the, you know, it was just a televangelist. That's what they did. Something happened in the late 80s or early 90s where those televangelists began to have some significant moral issues. You, you might remember that. They were quickly ruined as people discovered that they were not following the message that they preached. You guys remember that? Some of you are smiling. and you, I remember. Like it was all over the news. And this happened to this. I can't believe that this was going on. Well, that created this environment in our country where people really began to have a hard time believing what Christians were saying because of some of these televangelists. It even prompted a song, a, a rock song. You guys might remember some of it. Give them something to believe in. Give them something to believe in. You guys remember that. <clears throat> Don't sing the song now. But I, I was, I, I was caught off guard because I, I remember hearing that song. I, I mean, I can't say I was particularly a fan, but I didn't dislike it. I, I do remember the song. It's catchy. You sing along to it. Well, when I was getting ready for this, I went back and watched the video, and that is a sad song because it is all about what was going on at that time. And, and they have in the video, the music video, they have images of these televangelists being arrested and uh, things going on in the country that were falling apart. And the whole song was, we need to give them something to believe in because everything that we have been believing in is crumbling around us. So we need to give them something to believe in. We all want something to believe in. 
We all want rock-solid proof that what we believe is real. And that's where we come in. Some of you right now can think of something or someone that is the real deal. Like you can get in your mind, you could tell a story about this person that you know is the real deal. You can look at them and say, they're real. Like I believe them. I want to follow, I trust them. The reason I'm going through all of this is because I want you to understand that Paul, the Apostle Paul, was that kind of person. When people saw him, they knew that that was somebody that they could believe. Paul's the real deal. And this letter that we've been going through that he wrote, he wrote from prison in Rome around 60 AD. He was in prison while he was writing this. And today we're going to pick up with Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going through all this. You can, you can find the notes for uh, today's message in the church app or in the Bible app. Go to either one. But we're going to pick up Ephesians chapter 4, just the first six verses. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the peace through the, the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Surely, today we can see the contrast between those who have caused great harm to the church because of their failings and their not being real and someone like Paul who is the real deal who has suffered greatly for the sake of the gospel. Again, Paul is the real deal. Paying the price. And at the time that he wrote these things that are still influencing the Western world today, even in a post-Christian Society that is, appears that we're moving to. So let's talk about Paul's credentials for just a minute. He says he's a prisoner of the Lord. Now, this isn't an allegory. This isn't some object lesson that he's talking about. He doesn't mean that he's a spiritual prisoner for Jesus. He was saying that he is literally a prisoner for preaching Jesus. He was writing from Rome, and you can read about his journey here in Acts chapter 22 uh, there is through 28. It tells all, all about the story. He was arrested by the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem, and he was tried before the governors Felix and Festus and King Agrippa. And when he perceived that he was being kind of railroaded the way that the Sanhedrin had things going, he appealed to Caesar. And so they took him to Rome for his trial which ultimately led to his execution. So while he was in Rome, he had what they called a first century ankle monitor. Some of you know, hopefully not by experience, but maybe, that if you get released from jail, they'll put an ankle monitor, right? And you have to walk around. So in the first century, obviously they didn't have electronics, so the way they did ankle monitoring was they handcuffed you to a Roman guard. Everywhere he went, he went with a Roman guard. He was handcuffed to him. 
So when he went to the bathroom, there was no privacy for him or the guard, like they went together. When he went to bed, he was chained to the Roman guard. When he was writing these letters, he was chained to a Roman guard. Can you imagine what he was going through at this time? He, not only this letter, but he also wrote Philippians, Philemon, and Colossians while he was chained to a Roman guard, suffering for the sake of Christ. Four of the 12 books of the New Testament were written while Paul was chained to a Roman guard. You know, most people have commitment issues, but I would say Paul did not. And I want to be careful here, because I, I don't really, I'm not trying to offend people, but have you noticed that Paul was not dissuaded by whatever was going on in his life? The difficulty that he was going through did not dissuade him away from Christ. I feel like we can, we've come a long way when if we go to church or not might depend on what time the Cowboys game is or not. <laughs> right? And not, like I said, I'm not, I'm not trying to be offensive. Please don't take it that way. I'm just saying that our level of commitment, if we think we're very committed, we need to pay attention to how committed Paul was. And it wasn't just Paul. It was first century the church leadership was deeply committed to their cause and grateful I'm so grateful and you are too because if not for them then we would not know what we know today so they didn't have commitment issues they were fully committed remember Paul was a robust Pharisee he was someone who was held in high regard his the people around him would have respected him he had status in his world and then one day he was on the road to Damascus to persecute some more people you guys maybe know this you, you can we can read the story straight out of Acts as he neared Damascus on his journey suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him he fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him Saul Saul why do you persecute me who are you Lord Saul asked I am Jesus whom you are persecuting he replied now that's interesting because we would expect it like I am God I am the Lord Almighty I am Jesus dealt directly with Saul now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless they heard the sound but did not see anyone now that would rattle you like you, you heard Paul falls down he's talking what's going on we can hear the sounds I don't see anything Saul got up from the ground but when he opened his eyes he could see nothing so they led him into Damascus for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything now for the sake of the gospel Paul needed this type of encounter his zeal for God knew no bounds he was trying to protect God to such a point that he was persecuting Christians. And Jesus said, why are you, this is me you're persecuting. For us, I think there are times that we need a Damascus Road experience. I think there's times, and I had one myself, and I'm grateful for that experience that knocked me to my face and caused me to look and say, Jesus, I love you, and develop this different sense of, 
of a relationship with him that I'd had before. We need knocked off our high horses and reminded of how amazing God is and forced to see the shipwreck that is our own spiritual lives. Because Saul would have considered himself to be a very religious person. One of the most religious. In fact, he gives his whole biography later on and talks about who he was. And we said early on he went from being big Saul and the word Paul means little. Literally changed to little Paul. Reminds me of the hymn you guys might remember. Oh to grace how great a debtor. Oh to grace how great a debtor. Our debt to grace should cause us to realize the depth of our need for God that's tweetable <laughs> our debt to grace should I should have put that on the, on the screen here our debt to grace should cause us to realize the depth of our need for God do we understand how great a debt to God's grace that we have it should cause us to reshape our thinking our wants our desires this began Paul's journey of living with a purpose for God. Everything for him changed in that moment. And we continue on here. Um, Paul says, To live a life worthy of the calling you have received, be completely humble and gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. To be humble. Do we understand what it means to be humble? When I was, uh, when I was a kid, and I, I still remember, I was in fifth grade, and we had a, a thing. I don't even remember what it was. I think it was come to lunch with your kid day or something. I don't remember. Now, my dad worked a lot. He was a tool pusher on a drilling rig. Um, I, can, we, I was talking to him about it this week. Everything's changed for them now that the oil field started shutting down on Friday. When he was working on the drilling rigs, they never stopped. I mean, look, they never shut down 24-7. Every holiday, he, would, he missed several Christmases because he's working. It was just, which was fine. It was, it was what it was. I appreciate the sacrifices that he made. I can remember one time, though. So my, my parents, I've described them before as, as cowboy hippies. If you can get that, paint that image, right? So imagine in the 60s, I was born in 74, so coming in, into that, they were just cowboy hippies. That's what they were. And um, so my dad came in uh, to fifth grade lunch one time and he was wearing his cowboy hat, big black cowboy hat with his black cowboy slicker. If you know, it's, it's the, the trench coat looking thing. It was black, his wranglers and his boots. My dad. Um, now keep in mind, we didn't have a ranch. We wanted one, but we couldn't afford one. We lived in a trailer house in a trailer park. <laughs> Here came my dad. I was so embarrassed. By, by my dad. All these other cool dads were wearing the Nikes and their, you know, their sweatpants or whatever they were wearing. Here comes my dad, dressed to the nines, man, with his cowboy outfit, full on. Now I have grown to appreciate that. In fact, have dressed that way myself <laughs> since then. I was embarrassed at the time, though. Um, the point is, he was easy to pick out. <laughs> Who's Cal's dad? Well, he's the guy wearing the slicker with the black felt cowboy hat. Amazing. That was my dad. Picking him out was easy, just like picking out somebody who's humble. 
humility is easy to identify. You can talk to somebody and look for just a little bit and understand how humble they are. Biblical humility is grounded in God. Think about this. God gave himself to save us. That's the epitome of humbleness. Right? He, God, our creator, gave himself to save us. If you have kids or even somebody you care about very much in life, you'll understand that because my kids, I give of myself for them. I think a lot of times they don't grasp that yet. One day they will. Humility is what God did for us. In fact, Jesus came and he turned the whole world upside down. Instead of being big Saul, he said, I want you to be little Paul. Instead of being on the top of the mountain, instead of finding the, the best seat at the wedding table, I want you to find the worst. I want you to be a servant. I want you to serve people. Philippians chapter three, 2, verses 3 through 8. I, I'm going to paraphrase slightly, but you'll understand. Humility is doing nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, considering others better than yourselves, each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant... Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus, being in very nature God, Jesus was God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. This is why we understand Jesus to be fully human, set his divinity aside. He was God, but he said, I've got to go and be a human. Set his divinity aside. So everything that Jesus did, he did as a person sourced by the Spirit. Not as God. So when, he, when it tells us in the scripture that he perceived their thoughts, the Holy Spirit was talking to him. When he healed somebody, he did so because of the Holy Spirit in him. This is why he could say later to the disciples, you will do greater things because you too will be spirit sourced. So this is the thing and this is really is the crux of the message today. Consider others before yourselves. Are we serving other people? How humble are we? Because this is exactly what Jesus did on the cross. Think of the time that Jesus asked this cup to pass from him when he was praying. He cared so much in that moment. The anxiety was so strong in his body that his, he sweat blood. Like he cared deeply. He was troubled. He didn't want to do this. But he did. This is how the Holy Spirit works in our lives. He gives us strength to model Christ to the world. Who Jesus was, the Holy Spirit enables us to be. 
and that's the crazy thing I said last week that as the Holy Spirit is in my life I began to assume the characteristics of God because the Holy Spirit is at work in me let me mention brief, briefly also that this type of living tracks into our online personalities as well who you are in Facebook or on Twitter or Instagram is who you really are and when we take stands on things that are not eternally important or if we grind our political axes it destroys our gospel influence who you are is a representative of Jesus Christ so not only in your person-to-person -person interaction, but your interaction over a text message, your interaction over the telephone, your interaction on social media, be Jesus. Elevate your gospel influence. Don't diminish it. And keep this in mind. The number of people influenced to change their mind because of your well-thought-out, well-written social media rant is zero. Nobody has ever come to me and said, oh, that was such a great rant. I have changed my mind. <laughs> it makes us feel better to get it out there. But you know, if you want to have a rant, then have that with your, like your friend. <laughs> How are we considering God and others first in the way we present ourselves to the world? Because it's not about us. It's really not about us. And going on to verse 3, and we're going to wrap this up. Making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you who were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, who is over all and through all and in all. He just won't let go of this unity. Like that is important. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. This is unity in faith. We may all have our own thoughts and ideas and desires, but when we come together, we are one people with one idea and one goal, and that is to reach people for Jesus. John Wesley said, I'm going to butcher this quote, but I was reading as I'm talking about the, ecclesi the ecclesiology of the church. He said, what is the end of the ecclesial order if not to tell people about Jesus? The entire organization of the church and the body of people, the goal is to reach people for Jesus, to spread his kingdom, that others may know the gospel message. There is no other thing. What is all ecclesial order except I'm paraphrasing to reach people for Jesus I just I do remember he said what is all ecclesial order and I was like oh that's good the purpose of the church everything that we do Sunday school classes and small groups and and running the computer we were trying to find somebody this morning to run the computer and the the worship and the band and the and you and me and, and the, the whole order the Christmas tree walk and the Easter egg hunt and 
Trunk, trunk and tree and everything is to reach people for Jesus, to expose them to the gospel that they might know the unity that exists because of the Holy Spirit at work within us. We are one people. With our own thoughts and ideas and but the beauty of it is that we can exist together and love and Jesus even said people will know that you belong to me because of the way you love each other you can have opposing ideas and still love each other in such a way that brings unity unity doesn't mean single-mindedness in thought it just means unity in expanding the gospel that's another thing Wesley said he said basically the tent's big there's room for a lot of thinking but there's things we won't compromise on who Jesus is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives like we're not going to compromise on those things anyway so unity and faith so, so what's the lesson for us today going back to the beginning of this letter there, there's a marvelous mystery of the grace of God that Paul says is our work as a church to let people know the manifold wisdom of God. The gospel message flows from the love of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God through us as we experience him. This means that our responsibility, which is where we're at now, right? Our responsibility as the body of Christ, as the ecclesia, is living humbly and in unity under the power of the unifying spirit. That's a mouthful. Living humbly. Serving others. Unified by the work of the Spirit within us. Our responsibility is showing others what it looks like to be a servant. To serve them and serve them well. The Holy Spirit enables us to live a life of love. Which propels us to be a gospel bringer everywhere we go. I feel like I talk about love a lot, but so does the Bible. So does, so, so does Jesus, so does Paul. At the end of the day, it's all about love and not the mushy-gushy, I feel good feeling, which is an awesome part of love sometimes. But the desire to see the best for others. So this morning, the band's gonna come. We're gonna sing a song to, to close, but I just would like for you to keep that in mind. How can I, and make this your prayer this week, God, how can I embody your spirit to be humble and a servant to others? All right, would y'all stand with me? God, this morning, we, we're just, uh, I'm gonna, I like that word humble. I'm humbled, Holy Spirit, that you would, that you would reside within me. I'm humbled, Jesus, by your sacrifice for my sins. That my leader would humble himself and show and become my servant. <laughs> I don't, 
I don't even know how to grasp the magnitude of that. So as we exist as a church, help us to find every opportunity that we have to serve each other. Not just in this church, but to serve our community. And for us, the next opportunity to serve this community is in the Christmas tree walk. So Holy Spirit, would you just empower us to become servants to those around us, that they might see you in us. And Scripture even teaches that they might glorify God because they see you in me. So help us to learn to live humbly, to be a servant to all. In Jesus' name I pray.